excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We are returning to that series this morning. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sukkah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. They encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, the valley in between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, who was from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had, a bronze, he had bronze armor on his legs, a bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man, Jesse, was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. The Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and going oh, excuse me, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. He ran to the army, and he came and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up 
Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him, that is, Goliath. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, when David spoke, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and Saul sent for David. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, but he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. And he took instead his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand. He drew near to the Philistine. Philistine came, began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. That's before Goliath. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. 
And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered him, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Preaching Christ is necessary for Christian preaching. In fact, it cannot be Christian preaching if Christ is not preached. If you want my opinion, too many books have been written on it. Because of that and the general weakness of the flesh, the church of the Lord Jesus often knows very little of what to do with the Old Testament. I find in my own life that very often my children have a more profound and straightforward interpretation than the complicated commentators that often work over God's Word. We are to preach Christ in all the Scriptures. And yet, the same Paul who said, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, also said... These things, the Old Testament, remember we read that in 1 Corinthians 10. He was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And he also said, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. Did you catch that word? They were written for our admonition. Mm. When you read the Old Testament Scriptures, you are receiving admonition written for you. Of course, that applies to the new as well, but it's harder for us to understand that it applies to the old. 
The scriptures were written for you, even if you weren't there. And preaching Christ, it includes preaching the Old Testament as examples. Preaching Christ includes moral instruction from all the scriptures. Friends, we are not wiser than the Holy Spirit who used Paul to write these things. We don't have to construct the cross of Calvary out of 1 Samuel 17 to get the point of the passage. Although, it is alluded to, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I think this makes reading the Bible much easier. You don't have to pull Christ out of a hat like a magic trick. You'll see him in the text. You'll be guided by the spirit that dwells in you to see what lessons to learn. This scene in the life of David, it teaches you many things. You could probably name way more than I'm going to, but I'm just going to name three. Motivation, courage, and trusting the Lord. Motivation, courage, and trusting the Lord. But before those themes come into focus, the Lord records a profile for us, for Goliath, and a profile for David. In verses 4 to 11, you have Goliath's profile, and then David's profile is a bit shorter, verses 12 through 14. So let's talk about Goliath for a moment. Children, you've heard of Goliath before, right? Who is he? The text tells us he is a champion from Gath. That means he's a warrior. He's known for fighting. He's from the camp of the Philistines. He was also very tall. Very tall. About nine feet, to be exact. Some would even say that he was one of the remaining Nephilim. From Genesis 6, verse 4. His weaponry is also described. In verse 7, there's even a specific description of the staff of his spear. Now, if you ever need a uh, Bible trivia note, if you want to stump someone at a party one night, ask them what Goliath's brother's name is. Do you know? Well, this same description in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 17 is repeated in 1, Samuel, or 1 Chronicles 20, verse 5, where Goliath's brother is named, and his name was Lami, L-A-H-M-I. Saul, uh, Saul, not Saul, Goliath's coat of mail weighed about 125 pounds. His coat of mail, the thing that he wore over his body, his upper half, weighed about 125 pounds. The iron spearhead, so just the tip of his spear, weighed about 15 pounds. He was undoubtedly very strong. You can understand, humanly speaking, the dismay and great fear that came on Saul and all of Israel. It's mentioned multiple times in the text. But you could also understand, from a human perspective, Goliath's willingness to defy these armies. David makes the point later, as Goliath would have arguably understood, to fight against an army in a time where there was no such thing as an atheist. To fight against an army is to fight against the God of that army. Goliath understood this. But to fight against Israel is to fight Israel's God, the Israel of the Old Testament. The Israel of today is another story. 
Goliath understood this. He had no fear of facing these armies and had no fear of the God of those armies, likely because he was thus far in his life undefeated. But because of this attitude, his statement in verse 9 is very powerful. And it reveals something to us about our own battles with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Did you catch what he said where he gives this initial uh, warning or promise or whatever the case may, whatever you want to call it? He basically says, whoever loses becomes the servant, or whoever wins earns a servant. Now, I want to step aside for a moment and point to the fact that this continues to be true in our lives as well. It's a truism, you might say. Because we are called as individuals, as congregations, as families, as communities, we are called to take dominion, to rule over the world. We are strengthened with the Spirit of God Almighty to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So this line, this warning from Goliath, it's in verse 9 if you want to look at it later. I want you to consider this in your own sanctification. Because this is how your sin works on you. You either serve that temptation or that temptation or that issue serves you. Whoever is the servant is the loser. If you serve the world, the flesh, and the devil, it's because they rule over you. And you lose again and again. But in Christ, with his power, by his spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the flesh and the world and the devil and cause them to be captive to you. We're told to do so. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, the text tells us in the New Testament. This can only happen with Christ's strength working through you, but the fact that it can happen proves that you can win. As for David, his profile sounds like the end of the book of Ruth. You learn of his hometown, his father, and his brothers. You even learn that he is the youngest of those brothers, eight of them, mind you. The Spirit records that the oldest three brothers went to battle and they followed Saul. What this means of the middle four, it's hard to say, or the other four. But you do get a glimpse of the older brother, Eliab, later in the chapter. But the fact that David is the youngest is... Probably not a coincidence. David is the youngest, probably to draw our minds to Jacob and Esau. Remember, the older served the younger with Jacob and Esau. Esau served Jacob. This happens in the kingdom of the Lord at times where he overturns the normal way of things. And it's probably a way of drawing our attention, or certainly theirs, uh, when they would have seen it with their eyes. There is a glorious honoring of the fifth commandment in our text as well. Jesse, David's father, has David to take some provision for the other sons who are already in battle with the Philistines. Children, this is like if you you go to college or you go away on a trip when mom and dad send you a care package, right? Or when they send your lunch with you, if you go somewhere. Jesse is loving his sons. There was even enough uh, provision for the captain of the thousand to which Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema belonged. Remember back in Moses where he divided the people um, into thousands and appointed leaders, right? These are the leaders of the thousand of which uh, these three older brothers were a part of. Jesse even honors them. 
You could see Jesse honors his inferiors. Remember I mentioned the fifth commandment? He honors his sons. David honors his equals, his brothers. David honors his superior, his father. Jesse honors his superior, the captain of his sons. I draw attention to this because it is this work of Jesse and David, this submission to the fifth commandment, this submission to what God instructed them and us to do, that brings David within earshot to hear the words of Goliath. How did he even get there to hear what Goliath said anyway? Well, it was the commission, the work of his father. Now, this might seem odd and a weird thing to deduce from the text, but don't be surprised in your own life when a challenge comes in the middle of an obedience. Sometimes an obedience is all the Lord needs to bring you to the place that he has just for you to honor him even more than you were already anticipating. Multiple obediences often arise in the life of the Christian. There is no indication that David knew a thing of what was going on with Goliath prior to this moment. Remember, back in chapter 16, he'd already met with Samuel. He'd been anointed and had the Spirit of the Lord rush upon him. But little did David know that his work as a king was starting even before he assumed the throne. David is brought as a delivery boy, as it were, to one of the most important scenes in the history of the world. It's because he was taking bread to his brothers and cheese to a captain in the army that he came to face Goliath. And what begins to happen as you move through this text, as kind of getting to this point, is that the humanity of the text begins to just jump off the page. If you don't really understand what I mean by the humanity, I mean the normalness, just that David is actually a real person and that we learn these lessons that God has for us from a real man. Now, I want to draw your attention to this first by David's questions after the men of Israel told him about Saul and the reward. Did you notice his first question? Let me paraphrase. What did you say the reward was? He asked that in the text. The very first question he says when he hears what Saul says. What, what will the man receive who defeats this guy? And then he brings up the honor of God. But his first question, what's the reward again? David is showing, as I said, his humanity. His decision appears to be based at least somewhat on what he'll get out of it. He doesn't just say, who is this that defies the armies of the living God? He also asked what he will get if he chooses to enter into the fray. Now, you might think this is ungodly or worldly. I don't think it is. We make decisions like this all the time. David is not condemned for it here or anywhere else. This is a wisdom that we could all stand to use. So many in the name of faith take stupid, stupid, stupid risks when only the, quote, honor of God is on the line. Notice I said quotes. It is normally not. The person is just, as Eliab says, filled with pride and probably wanting to play the hero. 
David, like all the Israelites who actually trusted the Lord, would have been concerned about the Lord's armor and honor, and he was. But that added persuasion was only enough for David, the reward. Yes, it would have pleased God for him to stand up, but he needed more than that because he is a man, because he is truly human, not because he is sinful. He was probably more confident than them because, children, do you remember the two things that David killed? A lion and a bear. I'm sure that gave him great confidence. Maybe he'd even seen this daughter of Saul that he could earn through the victory. And that was an added incentive. Maybe he really needed the money. Maybe the taxes were steep. Whatever the case, none of those desires or motivations, as I said earlier, are bad in themselves. David was persuaded by all four incentives. Great riches, a wife, exemption from taxes, and honor for his God. It's true that motivations are complicated. But don't simply write someone off as lacking faith if they wouldn't do what you do. There are always many things to consider. Now, this wouldn't be much of a Bible story if there wasn't some family feud or bitter sibling squabble, would it? Eliab plays the older brother card. And man, he plays it. Don't you have other things to do? Why are you even here? You're being so prideful thinking that you can do something. We're older. We're fighting the battle. You're young. Stay home and do what you're supposed to do. Keep your mouth closed, young man. You get the drift that this is not the first time this has happened with firstborn and baby brother. For David asked, what have I done now? What is it this time? Eliab, how could you possibly have a complaint? That's why David says, is there not a cause? It seems to imply, doesn't something need to be done? Y'all aren't doing it. Here I am. I'm going to take this opportunity. Of course, something needs to be done. And David is the only one courageous enough to step forward. He ends up in the text before Saul volunteering for the job. Saul, he, he tries to dismiss him based on his youth. Maybe you've heard that before, 1 Timothy 4. Paul tells Timothy not to allow anyone to look down on him because of his youth. David insists and provides Saul with his credentials. He's beaten a lion and he's beaten a bear before to defend things without souls, to defend a true flock, actual sheep. The people of Israel are a type of flock. They're the sheep of the Lord. Why wouldn't he stand up for them with this opportunity? Why wouldn't he fight against this uncircumcised Philistine, as he calls him? He can't be any worse than a bear or a lion. He says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Call this what you will, but it's flat-out courage. Confidence is based on God's past action. With the motivations factored in that were mentioned earlier, David considered the cost and said, Here I am, send me. And then Saul sends him out 
with a benediction. The Lord be with you. Now, Saul tries to doubly bless him, but it's too much. It doesn't work. David is going to be unlike Saul, both in heart, but also in attire. There's such imagery there with David not being able to wear those clothes, just like he's not going to be a king like Saul. One greater than Saul is here, even if Saul's armor was likely too large. David proceeds to take his staff, the one that he used to defend the sheep. He takes some stones from the brook, puts them in a shepherd's bag. Great kings are shepherds too, after all. As if David's etching himself in the Christ figure mold wasn't clear enough already, the fight scene gloriously shows David bearing the image of Christ, just as all the faithful have and will. He faces the insults of the enemy. He faces one who curses the Lord himself. This is, we might call it, David's own wilderness confrontation with a Satan figure, going where no other had prevailed. And he, like the Lord after him, reminds Goliath of whose name he comes in. It is the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the army which you blaspheme. You, Goliath, have cursed my people. You have cursed my God. And here I am to be his instrument of bringing his curse down upon you, you who trust in sword, spear, and javelin. We talked about motivation. We talked about courage. And we see David's trust. David's trust is in the Lord. And he declares it to the enemy. Like Jesus with the devil in the wilderness, through this victory, David declares before it even happens that all the earth, including this scared army, will know who the Lord is and they will see his power because the battle is his. David doesn't do anything strategic. He goes in for the kill. He hurries, the text says, over to meet Goliath, and he takes just one stone out of his bag, slings it into his forehead, and as we might say, it was a one-hitter-quitter. Goliath falls on his face to the earth. The text reminds you that David's prevailing over him was with a sling and a stone, not a sword, nor a spear or a javelin. What does David do next? Well, he continues to walk in the Christ figure imagery. He strikes the enemy where? In the head. Just as the Lord had promised. He will bruise the head of the serpent. He plays the Christ figure once again. He removes the head of Goliath with Goliath's own sword. He ruled over Goliath in life and in death. And this pushed the entire army back in fear. This David, he was motivated. He had courage and he trusted the Lord. He displayed the Lord Jesus Christ and he left us an example. And the multiple times that the head of Goliath is mentioned, it's as if the Lord wants you to think about him parading it around. He used his sword. He took his armor. He took his head. He raided the Philistine. He defended the strong man, and the people plundered his goods. And this leads Saul to a profound question. 
one that draws us to Christ even more. Whose son is this? Whose son can do a work like this? Where did he come from? Doesn't that sound like our sermon from Andrew last week? Who is this son? Who is Christ? This great victory of David over an enemy that had never been defeated. It mirrors an even greater victory that the Christ would accomplish over an enemy that had never been defeated. Christ came and destroyed the works of the devil. David came and destroyed the Philistine and his works, and he did it as a man motivated for godly gain, courageous in his Lord and trusting in him as well. Those three things can teach you tremendous lessons for the rest of your life. So I ask you, what is it that motivates you? What is it that motivates you? Because there are four things mentioned in this text. Financial gain. Nothing wrong with that, as long as you plan to use it well. A wife. Nothing wrong with that. Exemption from taxes, financial stability, whatever you want to draw that to. Nothing wrong with that, as long as you're going to use it well. Is there any place for the honor of God in your motivations? For the honor of the Lord, what is it that motivates you? Do you have courage at all to stand for the Lord? Do you have courage to stand for the Lord as dear David did? Because you have opportunities. Do you trust the Lord once you've chosen the courageous path? Because if you answer those properly and you image the Lord Jesus Christ, even as feebly as we do... We're not less than David. He was a sinner like us. As those who are under the baptism of Christ, you have the promise of his spirit. You can and do properly image the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say this as unapologetically and with as little irony as possible. You have Goliaths to face. You just do. You have the same spirit of David, but even greater in some sense because of being in the new covenant. Since you have those enemies and you have that spirit, you too can say the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And in so doing, you will be giving glory to the Lord and trusting in the strength that he supplies. Remember, the battles are all his after all. So wage war in the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.